welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for FootballOutsiders.com, part of Edge Sports. Rather than bore you with my normal soliloquy on DFS values for Week 11, I actually have a guest on, Mike Tagliere from Fantasy Pros, and he's going to go back and forth with me talking about some good values this week at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. But before we get to an interview with him, I want to mention that we have an exclusive offer for you from Football Outsiders, the innovators of modern football analytics. With proprietary metrics you know and love, like DVOA and DYAR, they're used by teams and they're great tools for fantasy players as well. So get the most out of your fantasy teams and DFS lineups with an FO Plus package. You can become an outsider today with promo code FANTASY25, which will save you 25% off site-wide. That's FANTASY25 to save 25% off site-wide on all of Football Outsiders tools and statistics. Meanwhile, the show is also brought to you by Edge Sports, Trusted by Super Bowl champions and billion-dollar betting syndicates, Only Edge Sports offers a fully customizable probability engine, interactive matchup models, and spread and over-under projections. Find your edge today with promo code FANTASY50, which will save you 50% off site-wide there. That's code FANTASY50 to save 55% off site-wide on Edge Sports packages, and that's Edge EDJ. Okay, perfect. Now let's head over to that interview with Mike. Okay, I'm joined on the line by Mike Tagliere. Uh, lead writer for Fantasy Pros. Mike, how are you? It sounds like your morning hasn't gone quite uh, as intended so far. It's been less than ideal. Let's just put it that way. I uh, I have a, a fear of spiders and it stems from when I was a child. I don't need to get into all that, but, I, but I, I walked down to my office today and I have a three monitor set up and there was one that was basically just spreading its web across my entire desk. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, you gotta be kidding. So instead of screaming and calling my wife down here to kill it, I did. And then legit five minutes before we start recording i see another one and then i i go to i go to get it and it literally goes down like the little in, in your desk you have these two holes where all the wires go like the wire hiding little holes he went down that hole so if you hear me scream in the middle of this <laughs> podcast uh he might be coming up my leg i don't know Yep. So I think that's definitely a good omen for for our discussion today. We're definitely going to pick out some great DFS options for everybody. Um, and for regular listeners of the show, they know that I, I normally do this as like a boring monologue. So it's good to have Mike on and we can actually go a little bit back and forth. And we'll do this a little bit more like we do waiver wire uh, players where Mike is, is going to give one or two players. I'll give one or two players at each position. And hopefully we can build a good DFS lineup for you that way. And Mike, as the guest, why don't you get us started with a quarterback you think is a good DFS value for this week? Uh, a good value play. If you want to save some money, I, I'd go down to Jameis Winston. You know, he's never a guy mm-hmm. that you feel great about playing. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we're talking about the Saints offense and Drew Brees. It's, it's going to be a different offense, I think, that we have to see because Drew Brees is the type of guy that's made the offensive line, I think, look a little bit better than they are. A lot of people talk about the Saints offensive line and say that it's one of the best in the NFL. And I, I, I do agree with that. But at the same time, Drew Brees is a guy who goes through his progressions extremely quick. He's very quick to dump the ball off. Jameis Winston is mm-hmm. not that quarterback. Uh, Jameis Winston is a guy that's willing to take chances, whereas Drew Brees really wasn't. Uh, but going against this Falcons team, it really comes down to the matchup uh, because the Falcons, not many people realize this, but the Falcons have not allowed the fewest fantasy points on the ground to running backs this year like yeah fewer than the bucks like fewer than the saints it, it's kind of ridiculous at this point they've only they've actually allowed the six fewest fantasy points overall to running backs so when you think about alvin Kamara and latavius murray maybe struggling a little bit on the ground it's going to rely on Jameis. and then you go and look at this this the, you know the schedule adjusted uh fantasy points for quarterbacks against the falcons seven it's 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 ridiculous kind of what they're allowing um they're allowing 1.71 fantasy points per offensive play. 
against the Falcons. Uh, that's actually a full 7% higher than any other team in the league. Uh, eight of nine quarterbacks this year have posted at least 18 fantasy points against them. And the only one who didn't was Teddy Bridgewater. And it was their second matchup of the year. It was a divisional yeah. matchup and a little sloppy weather on a Thursday night. Well, Thursday nights are always just ugly games anyway. So uh, Jameis Winston, if you're looking to save some money, he'd be the value option I'd go to. Yeah, I totally agree with you from from a like matchups perspective. So with the Falcons, as you mentioned, one of the reasons I think they're they're such an effective team against the run is that they've just limited run plays by 19%. So that's the most in football. And so I think it just makes it a lot more difficult for for running backs to to pile up the value. Teams are throwing against a team with a a bad pa- uh, pass defense and it just makes it easier. Yeah. Plus the 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 Saints are playing at home. Winston obviously hasn't been a Saint for long enough to really know, but playing at home in a dome tends to be a really big boost for quarterbacks. It certainly has been for Breeze, and Winston has also always been a player who's performed better at home than on the road. I have him as a neutral value this week, but I feel completely not confident in in my projections here and it's really related to two reasons one is style because uh as i think kind of what you mentioned with you know breeze maybe making the offensive line look better based on style well both breeze and teddy bridgewater when he was with the team last year have averaged less than 6.5 yards on their throw depth with the saints whereas last year winston when he had his great fantasy season but turned the ball over constantly averaged more than 10 yards per attempt it's just like complete opposite ends of the spectrum there so, Mike, let me ask you, do you think that, you know, are they going to get Winston to kind of try to fill in in the way that Bridgewater filled in last year, where he's a little bit more reliant on checking down to Alvin Kamara, maybe not taking chances, trying to eliminate the turnovers because the Saints have the roster talent to win the game that way? Or do you think Winston is kind of the guy who he's always been? And that's probably good news for fantasy, but may not be as good news for the for the Saints No, I do uh, believe from that, a chance to win. Yeah, no, no. I do believe that he's actually going to try and be that quarterback, but that could be a problem too, because in sports, psychological stuff is just as bad as, as physical like limitations, right? Where if you're thinking about things too much, if you're trying to be someone that you're not, it's going to be a real problem. I, I think you yeah. have to let Jameis be Jameis. And that's the thing. That's a, that's, that's what good offensive coaches do. And I, I don't know if Sean Payton's had the time to kind of develop Jameis Winston that way because he hasn't been the starter and it's not like he's been grooming him to take over for Drew Brees or anything like that but you have good offensive coordinators build their offenses around the players that they have around the strengths that they have and and Jameis Winston is not a guy that has the same strengths as Drew Brees he doesn't have immaculate accuracy he has a bit more mobility Uh, you can move him out of the pocket a little bit more get a little bit more creative with the offense. The only thing I worry about is obviously Taysom Hill having more yeah. of a, a role. I, I do think that he has a slightly larger role in the in the offense with Drew Brees out, but I think how much depends on how good or bad Jameis is, which is why I think it's weird to say this because I n- you never want to suggest playing a quarterback in a defense in the same DFS lineup, but last year it was very profitable to play the, the defense playing against Jameis Winston as well as Jameis Winston. So the Falcons defense is like 2,300 on DraftKings this week. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm actually open to playing them because I usually look for the bottom of the barrel defenses anyways. I just want to save some money at that position. So, um, but Jameis just can't get, in, he, he has to let the game come to him and kind of play his, his game. I do believe that it's going to start. The game script is going to depend on that, right? If they're, if they're leading, sure. he's, he's going to stay in that safe mode. If the, if they fall behind, if the Falcons put up a touchdown or two, I think we could see old Jameis and it could be fun because he does have Michael Thomas against those cornerbacks, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, playing a little less snaps for whatever reason with Michael Thomas in the lineup. I don't, I didn't really understand why they limited his snaps so, so much, but, um, I do think the matchups are good enough for the wide receivers where Jameis, even if he drops back to pass, like he used to, his wide receivers can win those battles. 
Yeah. So you brought up the Taysom Hill thing. That was the other major risk that I wanted to talk about. So I'll just go ahead and shift and talk about a player that I think is a good value this week, who is more expensive, but I still think is, is a great value is Deshaun Watson. I see him as close to as a $1,000 value in both DraftKings and FanDuel this week. Um, he, so he, this has really kind of been a, a situation of schedule in my mind. He opened the season against the Chiefs, Ravens, and Steelers. They're all in the top 10 in DVOA pass defense. And two of those three games came on the road. And so I, I kind of lined up a little split to show you that last year, when he was the number two quarterback behind just Lamar Jackson, he averaged 22.1 fantasy points per game. In the first three games this season, he averaged 18.5, obviously a big drop off. But since then, he's back up to 23.7 fantasy points per game. I think probably people that have watched how amazing DeAndre Hopkins has been for the Cardinals, especially catching that sweet Hail Mary, you're just like, oh man, what a devastating loss for Watson. And while I don't disagree with that sentiment in general, it hasn't really applied to fantasy. And for Watson as a guy that is like really susceptible to matchups, in particular playing at home in the Dome, I just think this is a great spot for him at home this week against the Patriots. Now, the Patriots is definitely a team you think of as a great pass defense, especially coming off the Ravens win, the upset win last week. But in my mind, that game was really more about the weather than anything else. Obviously, it'll be it'll be clean and, and <laughs> nice inside the dome this week. But the Patriots have, have fallen off from first last year in pass defense DVOA to just 30th this season. Uh, they're still you know really good at getting turnovers, but they're also a booster of both passing yards and touchdowns per attempt by about 17% each. They just don't have the same horses that they had last year with all the opt-outs, some of the injuries they've suffered on, uh, in the secondary and linebacker positions. So I think this is a great spot for Watson, and this price doesn't fully reflect the value that I think he is. I mean, he's similarly priced to guys like Teddy Bridgewater and Joe Burrow in the in the DFS platforms, and he's just a better fantasy player than that. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I mean, I I I read the primer every week, and that article, like I put in there, you are more worried about the Patriots' reputation than you are the actual matchup at this point in time. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing, and that's where people keep falling back to is the Patriots. My only concern with Watson this week it has nothing to do with the matchup. The matchup's fantastic. The 8.6 yards per attempt that they're allowing is the second highest number in the league behind only the Jaguars. So it's it's a great matchup. The problem is that their opponents have averaged just 57 plays per game. Uh, Houston mm-hmm. Houston cannot stop the run. And True. that's that's going to be a real problem because the Patriots, all they want to do is drain the clock. So, you know, Damian Harris is going to run all over them. You know, Cam Newton's going to run all over them. And if they can't limit that, basically that clock is just going to disappear. And this is going to be one of the fastest games uh, in the NFL this week. And that can eat into Deshaun Watson's progress. And on top of that, you really don't get the garbage time that you sometimes get with Watson. Watson, a lot of times this Houston defense allows a lot of fantasy, a lot of points on the board and they really just, they fall behind and he racks up points. The weird thing is, is he's rushed for more than 38 yards just once this year, which it it really kind of sucks. Um, You'd have to go back to week 17 of 2018 to find the last time that he topped 50 yards in the ground, which I thought with Hopkins gone, he would start running the ball more. I, I, I don't know why they don't use his mobility a little bit more to their advantage, but Watson's the type of guy that would rather throw than run the ball. I just don't know if this game is going to be particularly high scoring. Again, I am not worried about the matchup, but if you were to tell me that they were going to run 65 offensive plays in this game, I'd be all in on Watson uh, because he does give you that solid floor. The matchup is fantastic. He has the receivers to beat the secondary, but the concern for me all comes back to the plays in this game. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Uh, Okay, Mike, do you want to hit another quarterback or should we move on to running backs? Oh, I'm good. Whatever you want, whatever you want to do, I'm good. All right, let's just move over to running backs then, and I'll let you get started again since I just gave a long, <laughs> long speech there about Watson. 
You know what's crazy is that I think all of us, like when we did our DFS podcast, we were talking about this game between Carolina and Detroit and saying it's negative correlation to play two running backs in the same game uh, because DeAndre Swift, you know, breakout performance last week, got a, a 21 of the 25 carries in that backfield. And it's our opportunities, touches. Mm-hmm. And then you go over to Mike Davis and you're like, well, Christian McCaffrey's out and Mike Davis is going to receive 90% of the touches in that backfield. And it's like, which one do we want to play? Because both matchups are fantastic. Um, <clears throat> the Panthers have faced the most weighted opportunity per game but then again you look at the other side and the lions are allowing more fantasy points than any other team in the nfl and it's really not all that close um so we're we're going back and forth trying to figure out which one you wanted to play if you had to choose one and we landed uh, i landed on mike davis because i feel like there was less risk between him uh than deandre swift because we always had to worry about whether or not matt patricia would pull a matt patricia and and turn this into a timeshare and give adrian peterson 15 carries uh yeah. fortunately we don't have to worry about that davis and now we get news that deandre swift is doubtful to play with concussion symptoms that kind of popped up midweek so he doesn't appear to have enough time to get through the concussion protocol uh so mike davis would be the guy um you know the lions if you look at the fantasy points they've allowed to skill position players you know running backs wide receivers and tight ends uh they've allowed 85 85 ppr points per game to those positions 42.5% of those have gone to the running back position, which is the second highest percentage in the league. So it's not only that they're allowing a ton of fantasy points, but they're allowing a ton of fantasy points specifically to running backs. And that's what amounts to, they've actually allowed 36 PPR points per game to running backs. Um, it's wide receivers facing the Lions are outscoring running backs by just one PPR point per game. That's kind of ridiculous <laughs> when you figure that out in a PPR standpoint. I don't think a lot of people sit down and think about that, but when you add all the wide receivers together and typically you're just looking at one or two running backs, it's just kind of remarkable. Uh, They've allowed more rushing touchdowns, 13 and more receiving touchdowns than any other team in the league. Um, The best part about this though, for Davis is that they've allowed more fantasy points per game through the air to running backs than any other team in the league, which is where Davis has really shined. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people have knocked Davis for what he's done recently. And they're like, no, no, I can't trust him. I can't do it. Um, I want you to, I want to remind everyone he played against Tampa Bay last week, probably one of the best defenses in the league. Um, the week before that was when McCaffrey was in the lineup. And then you go back to Atlanta. We've already talked about Atlanta and the fact that they've allowed the six fewest fantasy points to running backs. He played New Orleans before that, a top three run defense. And then before that, it was Chicago, a team that Dalvin Cook continually banged his head against the wall on Monday night. So uh, the schedule has been brutal. Fortunately, the Lions are not that team. They're not a brutal team. And knowing that Teddy Bridgewater is looking look less and less likely to play this week um i would i would imagine that whoever they go to because they talked about playing will greer over pj it's walker. gotta be pj walker pj walker so much better <laughs> i agree i agree with you 100 but there's rumors saying that they might split the snaps because they're kind of like looking into the future I, I think we all know that will greer is not the future uh but either way i think i think they would build this this game plan around the running back position and kind of like limit those uh risky throws so mike davis should be a value at 6800 yeah, I, Mike, you touched on pretty much all the thoughts that I had there. The only other thing I'll point out is that Davis has a 19.4% target share as the starting running back for the Panthers this season. And so compared to backs that have played most of the year, that's second behind just Alvin Kamara. So if there was ever a back that was well-equipped to you know face a Lions team that allows so many points through the air, it's him. And I think he's a tremendous value this week, for sure, no matter who the quarterback is. Yep. Uh, I'll shift to another running back who I think injuries are kind of playing a role here, Kalen Ballage for the, for the Chargers. He's my number one value of the week, assuming that Austin Eckler doesn't play, which I think he's probably another week away. 
Uh, in a lot of ways, this is probably obvious. You have Eckler, who's probably going to be out for one more week. Justin Jackson landed on injured reserve. So you're, you're kind of just running on him and Joshua Kelly, the rookie. Ballage outtouched Kelly 23 to 7 in week 10. And something that I'm not sure people have realized is that Kelly's been very ineffective or at least inefficient as a running back so far this season. Negative 118 rushing DYAR. That's worse than the next player with 80 or more carries by about 80 uh, DYAR. So you're talking about like a well below average um, effective player. And so I think that that kind of is the explanation of how Ballage could kind of come out of nowhere and suddenly be getting three times as many carries as his like established rookie teammate this season. So for one, I like it from that perspective. I think the workload is just going to be there for probably just this one week with him. But two, uh, the Jets, while you think of them as a team that you can sort of target through the air and they are the number 32 DVOA pass defense, that actually hasn't led their opponents to run any less. They've actually increased run plays by about 1% so far this season. It's a situation where I think the general mismatch between the teams is such that the Chargers are likely to build a lead and get a run-positive game script that can get Ballage those carries and, and probably catches too. So I just think he's a really nice value this week as a little bit less expensive of an option, under $6,000 in both platforms right now. Yeah, no, no. I, so Ballage is someone that I, I'm struggling with to figure out whether or not I want to play him. So if you're looking for like cheap options at the running back, he's definitely one of those guys in that conversation. Mm-hmm. I think Savan Ahmed is another guy that I would consider oh, yeah. um, because Ahmed on, on DraftKings is a little bit cheaper than uh, Balazs. So so if you look at the Jets matchup, I, I love that you pointed out the game script because that's always something that teams like benefit from against the Jets. And uh, that's be- that's that's the reason that running backs have averaged 29.2 touches per game against them. So even if you want to say, oh, Joshua Kelly, we'll give him 10 touches. Uh, we'll give Tremaine Pope two touches or whatever, because it yeah. seems like he didn't he didn't even really see the field last week. Uh, you're still looking at 15 plus touches for Kalen Balaj, which is a value um, basically. I, and he's played really well uh, with the opportunity he's been given. And if you look at just how bad Joshua Kelly is, because you, you go through this Chargers team and you say, look, Melvin Gordon was good in this offense. Austin Eckler was good in this offense. Justin Jackson, when he's been actually on the field, he's been good in this offense. And now you put Kalen Balaj in the offense. He looks good. So it's like Joshua Kelly, what are you doing? Like he's, he's yeah, been it's an indictment. Yeah, he's been so bad in terms of NFL's next gen stats. He's actually averaged the fewest, like, uh, like, uh, I think, uh, set point seven yards per carry less than expected based on the eight plus men in the box that he's seen based on, uh, yards before contact that he's had. So he's been like one of the worst running backs in the league. So, uh, he should not get more touches. Balazs is, I, I definitely dig this play. It's just Ahmed would be someone that I would consider in that same range. And I've kind of struggled between those two because they're priced very similarly. Yeah. I mean, start both. If you <laughs> spend a little bit more money at some of the other positions and that'll probably work out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mike, why don't you hit us with some wide receivers that you like this week? Oh, man, Keenan Allen is a guy I can't get away from. He's kind of like the lock this week. Um, you know, every single week we try and figure out a guy that like, okay, who's your lock? Who's the guy you're going to have in every single lineup? And basically Keenan Allen's that guy for me. Uh, he's seen last week was the first time that he saw fewer than 10 targets uh, in a game that he's played with Justin Herbert, where he played the whole game because we know he had to leave early in that Saints game. Uh, obviously, yeah. the connection between them has been fantastic. Uh, the Jets, <laughs> I mean, the Jets, come on. Uh, they 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 cut one of their starting cornerbacks this week, Pierre Desir. Uh, he's been terrible. But uh, I, I know some people are saying, oh, he leads the team in interceptions while well, he's been bad. Um, and so now they're going to be forced to start rookie Bryce um, 
Bryce Hall. Uh, I think he was a six round draft pick. Uh, he's only seen, I think, one target in coverage this season or Corey Ballantyne, who was cut from the Giants team, who also needs cornerbacks. I mean, it's almost like the Jets are like, hey, <laughs> give us all these guys that are going to continue to give us that number one overall pick. Um, they're in a weird hey, spot. They're, it's masterful. Yeah, it, it is. But they're in a weird spot, like in, in, in regards to what they're going to do with Darnold. And should he should the franchise move on from Sam Darnold? And I think that you have to take Trevor Lawrence there, but it just puts them in a weird spot. I think Darnold has been dealt such a crap hand. Um, but either way, uh, this matchup is just fantastic here. And I mean, again, Keenan Allen going back to like, I, I don't want to take too much away from like hard knock shows, but I think sometimes you can just see how much a, a quarterback admires a wide receiver. Uh, I remember watching that this, uh, you know, basically right before the season started and Justin Herbert, he wasn't the starter at that time. And they brought him in to take some reps with the ones. And he walked over to Keenan Allen. He said, Hey, Hey man, look, this is not my show. I'm here. Just, I mean, I'm your assistant. I'm here to get you the ball. That's my job. And he singled him out and Mike Williams was out there too, but he, you could tell he loves Keenan Allen and Keenan Allen has been one of the better wide receivers in the NFL for a long time. He deserves these wide receivers, like, like these targets. And the best part about him is that when you're paying up for wide receivers, like in this range, you're typically looking for a guy, you, you almost need him to score a touchdown, right? Like if you play Julio Jones, you play Calvin Ridley, you, you need those guys to score most of the time. Keenan Allen is not a guy that it's 7,400 on DK that you need to score a touchdown because yeah. he can catch eight balls for 120 yards and pay off at that price. Uh, but obviously the touchdowns come quite often against the jets. So uh, definitely like Keenan Allen this week. I've been surprised. I feel like he's been underpriced at DraftKings all year yeah. based like relative to my projections. And I don't really understand it. Like the story that you told about Allen there was perfect. It's like, yeah, I mean like this is a guy that's been consistently excellent every year. I almost feel like there's been, just like a, a non-adjustment to the preseason pessimism people had related to Tyrod Taylor taking over yep. at quarterback, where it was like, uh, maybe Allen's more of a wide receiver two or three this year, just because Tyrod doesn't throw the ball as much. Tyrod hasn't been starting since week one. So, I mean, uh, you know, Allen has been incredibly consistent. 29% target share is second among wide receivers behind just DeAndre Hawkins this year. And yet he's, you know, $1,200 less expensive than Devontae Adams uh, in DraftKings, $1,500 less in FanDuel. And not that I'm saying that you should start him over Adams. I just feel like he's so obviously in that top tier. Yep. Why is he so inexpensive? I don't know, but take advantage while you can. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, Terry McLaurin was someone that fell into that category for a long time. Uh, they're they're finally now bumping his price up because he was stuck in the 5K range for a while, and it was like an autoplay every single week. And the last player that's like that is Deontay Johnson. He's someone that, for oh, whatever yeah. reason, they haven't priced him up. I don't, I don't get it. Go ahead and shift into the Johnson talk because I have a few thoughts there too. I mean, Deontay Johnson, similar to Keenan Allen, I, I mean, he's he's someone that every full game he has played, he has seen at least 10 targets. And that's something that that is worth a whole lot. Now, his average depth of target is not great. His average yards per reception is not great. But again, the, the reason that, I, I, that Keenan Allen's obviously the better play is because at some point, these Steelers wide receivers are going to start to cannibalize each other. Uh, where you can't have, like last week, I think they all finished as top 24 wide receivers. Eric Ebron was the one who didn't perform in a good matchup, uh, where that's the thing you have to worry about on a weekly basis with these guys. But um, against the Jaguars, it's it's similar to the last two weeks, right? Because we thought that James Conner was going to crush against the, uh, against the Cowboys. And it was like, nope, we're going to go through the air because that's what's working. And then it's like, okay, do we want to trust that again against the Bengals? Because you could do whatever you want against the Bengals. 
They did it again. And then it's like, mm-hmm. now you go to this matchup against the Jags and we have the same exact predicament. And it's like, I know one of these weeks, James Conner is just going to go bananas and he's going to be a great DFS play because of that. Um, but at the same time, why would the Steelers change what's working right now? And it's working. You know what I mean? Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, oh, like he's been fantastic. Chase Claypool has been great as the field stretcher. But Deontay Johnson is the route runner. They're manufacturing touches for him around the line of scrimmage. They're letting him create a little bit after the catch. So his average depth of target doesn't rely on so much. Um, like, you know, there's not so many variables involved with him. They're going to get the ball in his hand and he's racking up those receptions in like a PPR format. So if he's getting all those targets every single week at 5,900, you can play him and Keenan Allen in a cash lineup. Yeah, definitely. And the only other thought I have here is that there may be some reluctance with Roethlisberger on the road. I mean, he, he had developed yeah. this reputation as being a big home run split guy, but the more that I look at it, the more that I think that was just like a weird blip that happened. I should have written this down, but I think it was like from 2014 to 16, he averaged something like 10 more fantasy points per game at home than on the road. Yep. But for the rest of his career and including the last several years, he's been much more in the like the typical range you would expect for a quarterback, like two fantasy points more per game at home than on the road. Yep. So in my mind, it's really the matchup is probably more beneficial than it is detrimental, uh, even though he's not playing at home in Pittsburgh this week. So I'm with you there. And then I'll mention one other wide receiver that I think is, is a nice value, a little bit less expensive. Jacoby Myers for the Patriots. I think it's particularly valuable in DraftKings where he's just 4,900. Similarly priced to Corey Davis and Tim Patrick as examples. Uh, Over the last month, he has a 38.5% target share. That's the highest among wide receivers. And I think that's a little bit of a deceptive metric. I like to use that as a way to sort of suss out differences in game scripts and stuff. And I think we know at this point that the Patriots are going to run more than most teams. Mm -hmm. And so maybe he's more of a like top 10 uh, volume target type of receiver than clearly the number one overall wide receiver in volume. But I think it might surprise people to know that the Patriots passing offense has been better this season than their, their reputation that I think hinges on Newton's lack of passing touchdowns. But Newton has a 68.8% completion percentage this year. That would be a career high. 7.4 yards per attempt is his best since his MVP 2015 season. The volume isn't great, and I mean, I think Myers is probably going to be hard-pressed to score touchdowns given that Newton is going to run them in when they get close to the goal line, but I think the volume is probably going to be really good in facing that Texans team. Uh, I mean, they're they're a big booster of run plays, um, and they're a bad run defense, but I think they can attack them through the air as well, and even while the Patriots have been running effectively against some of their opponents, in particular Baltimore last week, that hasn't prevented Myers from getting 7 to f- like 15 targets in his recent weeks. And I just don't think his DFS prices have caught up yet. Do you think that's that's the case? Or do you think that there's maybe some game script reasons that he's not as much as much of a value as I'm saying? I mean, game script, I have my concerns about that game, sure. But at the same time, I mean, he <laughs> Patriots targets, wide receivers were targeted seven times last week. Jacoby Myers saw all seven of them. It's kind of yeah. ridiculous just how much <laughs> the ball is going to him. So even though you look at the fact that the Texans have faced just 19 wide receiver targets per game, that's that's low when you compare it to a lot of other teams. But 19, I mean, if we were somehow able to get even close to that 17 targets, we're probably looking at 12 targets for Jacoby Myers as a floor. Uh, the, the downside is that he is the clear cut number one. Bradley Roby got over his team discipline or whatever it was. And um, he so that he could shadow him, which could limit production. Bradley Roby's not like a shutdown guy, so I'm not really no. that worried about it. One player that I would ask you, like your opinion on, because they're, they're in a similar range in DraftKings, you're paying a little bit more for Amari Cooper, but I feel like he is so underpriced right now uh, because of the, the recency mm-hmm. bias there, because it's a similar situation, right? You, you know that quarterback play is not maybe not great. I think people are... 
I, I, I do want to say that I think people are a little bit over exaggerating just how bad Andy Dalton is or whatever, because yeah. Andy Dalton played in a bad offense for a long time. And he, and he, and he was a fantasy performer. He, he held up AJ green. He was fine with Tyler Boyd. Uh, but based on one bad game, people are just jumping to conclusions that this is the worst quarterback in the NFL. I don't think that's the case. I mean, the, the Minnesota Vikings are clearly a horrible team against wide receivers. They're allowing more fantasy points per target than any other team in the league. We know the Cowboys pass the ball a ton. And it seems like after Trayvon Diggs uh, was hurt, I think it's going to be Chris Jones. He's a 2018 undrafted free agent in coverage on Amari Cooper the majority of the game. He has not been good. Uh, so Amari Cooper, what, what would you think if you were able to, if you had that $500 to spend, would you rather play Amari Cooper than Jacoby Myers? I don't have them in front of me to know which one I like more, but I know I do like Cooper this week. I'm pretty sure I have him as a top 20 wide receiver yep. just in a general sense. And I, this isn't really data backed, but I bet we could probably prove it out if we wanted to. But there seems to be a halo effect for the players that perform well on like a Sunday night or Monday oh, night yes, game. Yes. And then like the, the converse being the case bias. when that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And so with Dalton, I, I think that's also kind of been like a, a thing with Dalton over the years, how he hasn't performed as well mm-hmm. when he's gotten media attention, which I don't know whether I buy into that or not. But like Dalton came in for Prescott, had his like really, really bad game which was his first start. And it was in kind of a primetime situation where everyone was watching it. So I, I agree with you that he's going to probably perform much better than that expectation that I think he set for players. And yes, I think both of them are excellent values this week for sure. Michael Gallup is really the one that I'm more concerned about. Just thinking that this may not be an offense that can support three receivers the way that it could when Prescott was chucking the ball all over the field. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, then let's shift this over to tight ends to close things out. And I'll go first this time just so I can snipe Mark Andrews to talk about from you. I I think he's particularly valuable in DraftKings where he is kind of a similar price to Jonu Smith and 700 less than Darren Waller. So I think clearly fallen out of that top tier of pricing at tight ends such that one exists with so few good tight end options this season. But anyway, I mean, it makes sense while that happened. Uh, Andrews has averaged just 34 yards per game over the last four games and hasn't scored a touchdown in that period. But I think that's really matchup related in a lot of ways. The first of those games was against the Eagles, who I think are probably a plus matchup for tight ends. But the last three, the Steelers, Colts, and Pats, they're the three biggest cutters of tight end touchdown percentage this season, all cutting it by 88% or more. So I just think it's really been a stretch that makes it unlikely to score touchdowns. And Andrews has kind of been matchup proof previously in his career. Um, But I I think it really does make a lot of sense that he struggled against the teams that he's faced of late. This week against the Titans, I don't think that's going to be the case. They're a top 10 booster of tight end completion percentage, yards per target, and touchdowns per target. So I think it's a pretty good bet that this will be the time that Andrews gets, you know, six or more targets and and gets a touchdown like we've been waiting for. And that can kind of flip the narrative on, on a player that I think is still Clearly a top five option at the position. What do you think, Mike? Love it. Andrew, Andrews is the play at tight end this week if you can fit it, if you can do it. Uh, so when I write my the primer, I, I always go and I, I so I write players. I don't I don't even bother with DFS pricing until I'm done writing that. But so yeah. I got to him and I started writing up his game and I was like, oh, I love him this week. I was like, you know what? Am I going to have to overpay? So like I, I went over and snuck and looked at DraftKings. I saw forty nine hundred. I was like, oh, geez, this is like chalk. <laughs> like everyone's going to play him. And I think right. Yeah. So. Uh, I was worried about him last week against New, uh, New England because, you know, he had co- he had come into that game struggling in tough matchups. New England was basically the number two tight end, I think, in DVOA uh, against tight yeah. ends. And then he finishes with seven catches for 61 yards. So you have to be happy with that. And Lamar Jackson 
over the last two weeks, you know, he has completed 75% of his passes. So it seems like things might be getting a little bit more on track for him. Uh, the Titans, you mentioned it, you know, the, in terms of boosters, you know, tight ends have averaged um, almost 19% more fantasy points um, than they typically average versus the Titans. And I think part of that is because tight ends have seen a league high 18 targets in the red zone against them. And that's where Mark Andrews obviously shines. So if I love Lamar Jackson this week, which I do, I am playing Mark Andrews. And I think that that's one of the best DFS stacks this week is that you can uh, stack Lamar Jackson with Mark Andrews. Andrews is cheap. And then you come back on the other side and you play Derrick Henry. Uh, I, yeah. think, I think that's one of my favorite stacks this week. I totally agree. We didn't even get into Lamar, but I feel like a lot of his struggles have been matchups related as he's faced top 10 pass defenses as well. Oh, yeah. But why don't you hit us with the tight end that can maybe if you need to save a little bit of money in your lineups that you like? I like Dallas Goddard. Uh, I believe that he's kind of gone overlooked in a lot of ways just because he didn't produce the last game and it was a good matchup. Uh, he did have to leave that game for a little while to get checked for a concussion. So you wonder if he was a bit rattled uh, throughout the game. And the, the process was right, though. I mean, if you look at it, the two of him and Richard Rodgers last week uh, combined for 11 targets, eight receptions, 93 mm -hmm. yards. So the process behind playing Goddard was correct. It was just the results were less than ideal. So sometimes, sometimes you have to deal with that. Uh, the Browns have allowed... Uh, just nine yards per reception to tight ends. That's the second lowest number in the league. However, they have still managed to allow the 10th most fantasy points. Volume yeah. has been extremely consistent against them. The target share has been fantastic. And when we look at what the, the Eagles want to do on offense, they want to throw to their tight ends. That's basically what they have to do. They have to get back to this. Like Carson Wentz has been playing terrible football. Um, like legit terrible. And it, it's sad because I really thought coming out of the bye week that things might turn around uh, for him, that it was just like a fresh start, like hit the reset button on the season. Um, but when you look at the tight ends, they're a little bit less reliant on great quarterback accuracy and more so just like getting targeted at the right times. So if Dallas Goddard is getting targeted at the right times, he's priced under 4K on DraftKings this week. So I just feel like the opportunity doesn't match his price. So if you need to save, you know, $1,100 from Mark Andrews, go down to Goddard. I'm good with that. It's just, the, again, you're playing targets at the wide at the tight end position right now because last week you could look at it. I mean, there were tight ends that finished top five with like 30 yards receiving. Yeah. So I, I feel like Goddard reminds me a lot of Deontay Johnson, where it feels like it's been a very up and down season. But if you actually look at his healthy starts, weeks one, two, eight, and ten, obviously they're spread out. There was a buy in there. There was the injury. But in those four starts, 16.8 percent target share. That's that would be seventh at the position for the season. So I, I agree with you that he's a lot probably more valuable than the perspective would be on him. And so in particular, he's like 2000 less expensive in DraftKings. I know that Vandal is always more expensive because of the pricing structure, yep. but relatively speaking, great value in DraftKings this week. Yep. Okay. That's going to wrap up this week's episodes of the football outsiders fantasy podcast. Mike, thanks for coming on. Tell everyone where they can read all your work and everything else. No, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's always fun to talk football. Uh, so you can find all my work at fantasypros.com. Uh, the one article I put my heart and soul into is the primer. Um, it's, it's like 30,000 plus words every single week with a paragraph on every player from every game. It's completely free. So, uh, just go and check that out. It's, it's basically what I dedicate my entire week to. So, uh, I definitely appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. I encourage everyone to check out that work for Mike. Uh, and then meanwhile, swing back to this podcast next Tuesday to hear all of our waiver wire thoughts for week 12. Wow. Getting late in the season. Okay. Thanks so much. And we'll talk to you then. Mm -hmm.